This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, first suggestion I have is don't listen to my last show because it sucked. Um, hope to bring a little more energy, talk about everything going on in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. Of course, you can follow the Passball Show on iTunes, on Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, if you want, uh, Spotify and Amazon is coming. So last week we mentioned a little bit. We talked about Trevor Bauer. We talked about the Mets maybe having their most opportune time to trade Jacob DeGrom. And I know that's not a very popular topic amongst New York Mets fans. But, you know, you talk about value and, you know, taking an asset for its highest value and moving it and being able to get the most back. It's at least something that should be thought about. We're going to start out by talking about the National Football League today. And um, my value when it comes to head coaches, and you'll find that I feel that head coaches in the National Football League have a lot more value than that, let's say, of a Major League Baseball manager. And you know my feelings about Major League Baseball managers. I think they're just essentially puppets. They basically dictate the game plan that's set by the front office. So those that are criticizing Luis Rojas for what they think he did as the Mets manager really have lost touch with baseball as it is in a year of 2020. But when it comes to the National Football League and its head coaches, a head coach comes in and essentially assembles his own staff. There's not a coach that's brought in that has his coaches picked out for him. Now, you may inherit a coach. You may get a job as a head coach and a owner or the general manager might like a certain coordinator, maybe somebody has been with the organization for a while, maybe a coach or two that have been with the franchise or the organization for a long time. But outside of that, the head coach is picking his own coaches. He's devising his own game plan on both sides of the ball and on special teams. So when you see results on a given week, week one, week two, week three, on any given NFL season, you know that the head coach has a lot to do with what the game plan was. Not true with a Major League Baseball manager, but I'm going to give you three reasons why an NFL head coach could lose his job in season. Because I've spoken about this before, um, it's hard to take a whole new system and bring it in in the middle of the season. You know, you want to go one way, a head coach, even if the head coach comes off of the staff of the previous head coach, Odds are there's going to be things that are changed. They may be drastic enough that you may need some training camp or some sort of simulation of practice on a regular basis to get a new system down. Now, you think of the 2020 season, a coronavirus, the whole thing, there wasn't much of training camp. There wasn't much in regards to practice. There was no preseason. Now, teams, sure, communicated. They held some practices. They did a lot of stuff over, you know, social stream, whether it's uh, Google Meet or um, Zoom. And, you know, they coordinated that way. But it wasn't the regular offseason when it comes to regular practicing. Obviously, practicing in the NFL is another thing we can get into. Totally different than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. 
They don't allow two-a-days. Any coach that rides his players hard in practice is usually ostracized, is usually criticized by the player. It's something that, you know, Bill Parcells, he'd be, he'd be laughing. He'd say, listen, I'm going to coach the way I want. If you don't like it, get the hell out. You've seen the change in a game right now where it's a lot more sensitive towards the players, but most, most importantly for their safety. You know, you, you heard about the, the offensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings a handful of years back. I think his name was Stringer. And he ends up, uh, you know, overheating, you know, getting, uh, you know, whacked out because of the heat. Ends up having a seizure and passes out and dies. You don't want that to happen regularly in the National Football League. And obviously, to this point, I've pretty much gone all over the place. But what I, I do want to talk about is... You know, the reasons that you would fire a head coach as it applies to the National Football League in season. At the end of the season, they call it Black Monday for a reason. Because teams decide sometime within the season. Sometimes it's as early as week one. Sometimes it's halfway through the season. Sometimes it's a tough decision that they make the second, the last game of a regular season ends. But Black Monday is usually the time that's designed for head coaches to lose their jobs in a National Football League for teams to start what they consider a new era. Things haven't worked out for a year, for two years, for 10 years, and it's time to move on. But very seldom do you see National Football League coaches changed during the regular season. I'm gonna give you three reasons. Number one, a team that quits, a team that is not listening to the coach, a team that uh, is very divisive towards the coach. Now, I don't recommend that. I think it looks bad for the players if players speak up and they say, hey, we're not going to take it, the whole twisted sister thing. You know, you know, there's no real time for a rebellion. A head coach in any sport should be respected as if they are any other boss. We all have bosses. We respect our boss no matter what. But, you know, when it comes down to it, if a team is playing un uninspired, if a team just doesn't seem like it cares, if a team seems like it's going through the motions and has basically quit on what would be perceived as the head coach, yes, that's a reason to fire a coach in season. Number two, the head coach can go out there and embarrass himself, whether it's saying something stupid publicly, whether it's getting to a point where his press conference is not that he's getting beat with the same question all the time, but he makes questionable enough calls that there's no explanation for. And he just doesn't seem like he, he fits in. He's a fish out of water. It, the job seems like it's a little bit too much for him. That could happen. And you see that over a course of a season, over a course of a couple seasons. And then you look back at it and you're like, you know what? This guy really shouldn't be the head coach. And the best time to do it, the best time to part ways with the head coach is right now at this immediate moment. The last one. And I think this is the most important reason why you'd fire a head coach, especially three games into the season, four games into a season. It's to salvage that actual season. If the belief is that the intention was not to tank for the year, we're in 2020 now, so I'll use that as an example. You can use any year in the past, any year in the future. You know what I'm saying? If there's anything to salvage out of this season, if this is a talented football team, a team that had aspirations of going deep into the playoffs, let alone just getting into the playoffs, then you may think a new leader and a change early in the season could make a difference. So those would be the three reasons. And 
you know, there's some heat that's on New York football Jets head coach Adam Gase. But my concern goes to a guy that may not be as touchable at this moment. And since this isn't a New York-centric show, we, we go a little towards the national. I'm leaning towards the Houston Texans and Bill O'Brien, who not only is their head coach, but within, within the last year or so, just got promoted to general manager. So he's calling the shots. And if it's up to Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien, the general manager, is not going to fire Bill O'Brien, the head coach. Now, this would have to come from ownership. The Houston Texans won the AFC South last year and have a ridiculously talented team led by quarterback Deshaun Watson, defensive lineman J.J. Watt, and general manager Bill O'Brien is probably the one that is under the most scrutiny right now. Here's a guy that may have had a hand in his boss, the general manager, losing his job, a job that he ended up inheriting and getting himself. And the first thing he does is he trades his star wide receiver, Deshaun, um, DeAndre Hopkins, to the Arizona Cardinals. And a trade that doesn't look very good. He got David Johnson back. The Cardinals look a lot better. Hopkins looks every bit like that number one star wide receiver he was when he was in Houston. And then the Texans themselves have not necessarily fit, fit the position or took over the position internally. Will Fuller is so injury prone. He's an injury a week, it seems. And he hasn't solidified himself as a top wide receiver in the National Football League. And you look at the zero and three Houston Texans. And if Bill O'Brien wasn't the general manager, odds are Bill O'Brien, the coach, may be fired at this point. And this would be the perfect example about salvaging a season when it comes to the National Football League expectations. The Texans got their string of AFC South victories. They won the division a handful of years, including last year. They watch as a team in their own division. The Tennessee Titans makes it all the way to the AFC championship game. And, you know, the expectations are this team is supposed to be good. Now, maybe they go out there and win in week four and they go on a winning streak and get themselves back to 500 and things get back to the way they were before. But you're looking at a coach that's been there for a while and hasn't necessarily raised the bar. The Houston Texans, since their existence, since they were brought in the National Football League as a gift, as an expansion team, because the NFL felt bad for them because they took the Houston Oilers away and sent them to Tennessee which, by the way, is a whole nother conversation if I want to get into it. Yeah, they, they have been uninspired. This is a, a bridesmaid. This is a team that is good enough to get to the postseason. They can win the AFC South. They can get in as a wild card. The Houston Texans getting into the playoffs is not a big deal. Problem is, is once they get there, they don't go anywhere. And you can talk about the Washington Nationals in Major League Baseball, and finally they got over the hump and won the World Series in 2019. Maybe that's what the Houston Texans need. They need one season to go their way, hold that Lombardi trophy up and say, we did it. Because once once they did it, all of a sudden you look back and you say, hey, you know, it doesn't matter how many times they made the playoffs and didn't go anywhere. You think about the Cincinnati Bengals and Marvin Lewis and the amount of years they made it to the playoffs without winning a game. Now, the Houston Texans occasionally win a playoff game. But they, they haven't had that year that's gotten them to the AFC Championship game and through into the Super Bowl. And Bill O'Brien's been here a little while now. 
And you wonder, and I know the owner obviously has some sort of appreciation or admiration for Bill O'Brien because he wouldn't have made him the general manager in addition to the head coach. But I tell you, the clock should be ticking. And I, I would look at Bill O'Brien being more on the hot seat than Adam Gase of the New York Jets. Now, it looks like with Gase, maybe the Jets made themselves a mistake. Maybe they hired a offensive guy who they thought was going to have more of an impact on the Jets' offense than he has. And maybe this isn't a real born leader. There's some guys that are meant to be coordinators. Adam Gase led a good offense with the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning, but he also had Peyton Manning. You know, Sam Darnold, as good of a quarterback as he could be, as good of a quarterback as he was in USC and may kind of be at the moment, is no Peyton Manning. So maybe Adam Gase, as the offensive coordinator, can do a little bit of a better job with Sam Darnold. But Adam Gase, the head coach, uninspired couple seasons in Miami, but nothing to make you say, hey, this guy was over his head. With the Jets over the last year plus, he's looked like he is in over his head. It doesn't look like he's got a pulse on that team. And I know Jamal Adams can be considered a little bit of a problem, and he did kind of force his way out to be traded. I wonder how much of that was spoke about the leadership ability of Adam Gates. Because you look at Mike Tomlin, you look at Pete Carroll, you look at some coaches in the National Football League, and it's hard to say that a player of that stature, that caliber, would want out so bad. If Pete Carroll was the head coach of the Jets, and we know that he was at some point, if Bill Belichick was the head coach of the Jets, so you know he was for, what, a day or so, I, I, I would be shocked if Jamal Adams would want out as much as he did with the New York Jets and Adam Gates. Now, some of it could have to do with Joe Douglas, you know, the Jets may not have gone out there and offered him the extension that he was looking for, but all of a sudden he goes to Seattle and he's not complaining. He doesn't want a new contract yet. He's willing to play out this season before he's worried about it. And he's going out there making plays, just like he did for the New York football Jets. But Jamal Adams wanting out as bad as he did. How much does that, is that an indictment of the coach? You create a culture where the group of players want to go out there and run through a wall for you. You know, Le'Veon Bell came over from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I know he took that season off. Doesn't look like he necessarily wants to run through a wall for Adam Gates. That team is underachieving. The team, and I hear all over the New York community when it comes to sports talk that the Jets just don't have the talent. They have a little more talent than they're getting credit for. Quarterback looks still looks like he could be a star. They, don't, they may not have great wide receivers. You know, Denzel Mims, they drafted this year. He hasn't been able to get on the field yet. Robbie Anderson's gone. He went to Carolina. They got a couple tight ends. They got guys to throw the ball to. But it doesn't seem like from a scheme standpoint that they have a, a great plan going into games. And the Jets get down by a little bit, and it looks like they quit. And as a coach in the National Football League, you can't have your team give up in the first quarter. Or give up at halftime. Now, I don't think things are going to get better for the Jets. Maybe the way I say, and I, and I say that they have a lot more talent than they get credit for, you may say they have absolutely no talent. I bet you the total amount of talent exists somewhere in the middle. You know, do the Jets, from 
a standpoint of their coach embarrassing himself, looking like a fish out of water, or the team quitting on him, those are two reasons it makes some sense to fire Adam Gase. And it could be after tonight. You never know. And I don't want to be too much time-centric, you know, talking about the individual game of the week. But, you know, a 0-4 and four Jets team may be in position to change its head coach, considering the general manager, Joe Douglas, did not hire him. This copyright broadcast is authorized under internet rights, granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPLA.com, and LLC is prohibited. Any commercial audio use of the program, such as by charging admission for a showing, is similarly prohibited. So, there was something special that happened towards the end of the Major League Baseball season, and you know we're right in the playoffs. Uh, I'm amazing that you got eight playoff games in baseball going on in, in one day. Most of them happening within the confines of other ones. I kind of like this postseason for a year, but when it comes down to it, it's something that I, I don't want to marry. I'd like to date it for this you know, fall and early winter and then probably break up with it after and go back to at least the format that existed before. But... You know, something happened before the end of the regular season that kind of made me happy. You know, you're thinking about the Detroit Tigers and the strides that they've made. Fell a little bit short when it came to postseason this year. So did the Baltimore Orioles. So did a handful of other teams that were in rebuild mode. I think all those teams have kind of combined with the Miami Marlins that are kind of behind them to say, hey, a team that is in a transition or in a rebuild maybe should be able to make a run for further things and better things in the postseason. And let's see what happens with the Marlins. The Miami Marlins, prior to this, the Florida Marlins, have never made the postseason and not won a World Series. So the Detroit Tigers, yeah, they're probably another year or two away. They got some good young players. Probably haven't established big-time stars that you've seen at the major league level. Uh, Ron Gardenhire a guy who was hired because of his working with younger players and worked very well with Minnesota, ends up retiring. He announced his retirement towards the end of the season. But, you know, one of two things could have happened. Number one, his health may have deteriorated, and he may have felt that he needed to walk away at that moment. Or number two, he opened up an opportunity for something to happen with the Detroit Tigers that had never happened in the history of that franchise. And Ron Gardenhire's replacement, at least on an interim basis, was none other than Lloyd McClendon, the former manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates, one-time manager of the Seattle Mariners. And what that signified, McClendon being the manager, even on an interim basis with the Detroit Tigers, means that he was the first black manager in the history of the Detroit Tigers franchise. Ten teams right now, have still never hired a black manager. Now, the Tigers, through 19-1 until now, probably wouldn't be fair to say from 19-1 until now because, you know, baseball had outlawed black players, which included black coaches and managers. Doesn't make it right, but it was something that happened. It's a fact. Frank Robinson becoming the first African-American manager in 1975 set the ball rolling, but didn't set the ball rolling at the same pace that you expected 
once Jackie Robinson became the first black player since Moses Fleetwood Walker in 1884. You figured teams, just like with Jackie Robinson, feeling pressure from their own public, from Major League Baseball, from the other teams that had had black players on their team, ended up saying, you know what, we too should have at least one black player on our team. And baseball became integrated, finishing up or culminating with Pumpsy Green in, I believe it was 1957, became the last of the 16 teams to finally integrate, and that's the Boston Red Sox. So you figure the same thing would happen when it comes to positions of power. And obviously you've talked about the way, or I've talked about the way the manager in Major League Baseball has changed so drastically. And the role of the Major League Baseball manager is not that important. Front offices are dictating what the managers are doing, whether it's in the game, whether it's before the game. And when you see a manager go out to make a pitching change, I question whether or not they're doing it with their own volition as well. It could be a a text. It could be a look at a program that's pulled up on an iPad. It could be some sort of analytic. It could be some sort of pitch count. It could be a matchup against a given hitter. But whatever it is, those are all things that aren't made by that manager that is considered a field manager. Baseball, still behind the curve curve when it comes to diversity. We know about the percentage of black players in Major League Baseball, and you can make any excuse you want for that. I I don't know how to change it. I mean, baseball, you know, has has cost a lot of money, but you you can't assume that every black person doesn't have money. I mean, isn't that kind of prejudice to assume that too? When we jump in and we say inner cities, isn't that a little bit prejudice to go that route and assume that there aren't enough black families that are doing well enough that they could afford the extra equipment, they could afford travel ball. So I don't think it's a a society thing. I mean, people try to paint with their own prejudices what they think somebody else is or should be. Is it the gravitation towards basketball or football? You You be a solid basketball player. You get a little more attention. I don't know. I don't know the reasons why we've made a lot of progress in Major League Baseball really up through the 80s and the early part of the 90s. And since then, you've seen a drop-off. So baseball has that going against them. And I just think it's inexplicable how you have now 10 teams that have never hired a black manager in Major League Baseball. Now, did Rod Garden hire step aside so Lloyd McClendon could cross that proverbial check mark off the Detroit Tigers and take them off this list? I don't think so. But I do believe Lloyd McClendon deserves a chance to be a full-time major league manager. And hopefully the Tigers don't go through this rigorous managerial search in the offseason because I, I think they are progressing enough. They still have a lot of the rest of their coaching staff in place. They still have their front office in place. They still have all the people involved in their minor league system and their field coordinators and everything in place. So to bring in a new manager and a new coaching staff may not necessarily be the right decision for this team in this moment. Because it's not like Ron Gardenhire failed. He, he had the worst team in baseball last year with the Detroit Tigers, and they improved. And there is some light at the end of the, t- t- uh, the tunnel, as I'm stuttering here for whatever godforsaken reason. 
the Detroit Tigers have some pride. They've won four World Series championships, 1935, 45, 68, and 84. So you know it's been a while. You're looking at 36 years in counting. They've had some really good teams, but they've also had some really bad teams. One of them was the 2019 version. When you thought of the likes of the Marlins and the Orioles, as far as being baseball teams that were a little worse off, the Detroit Tigers beat them in futility and lost 114 games. But I think there's a lot of promise. There's more excitement when it comes to the Detroit Tigers. I know the fans may not be so happy, but I don't know what necessarily has to change. I think they got to just continue with the plan that they have. And I'd like to see Lloyd McClendon get a full-time opportunity to manage the Detroit Tigers. I think he was he got the job with Seattle at the wrong place at the wrong time. Led the team to, what, 86 wins or 83 wins the first year. And then had a losing season the second year with a new general manager. And the, the new general manager obviously says, what? I want to pick my own manager. That's what happens. That's what happens in football. That's why... Adam Gase is likely to be let go by the New York Jets because Joe Douglas, as the general manager, was not the one that hired him. So you can see Al Avila, who since David Dombrowski has left there, he's been the general manager to Detroit Tigers. Probably not, not a lot to be proud of in the time since then. But the Detroit Tigers going through a full-blown Tug Speedman as simple jack type of rebuild you know, you understand that you're looking for progress. And McClendon, his role on the coaching staff, obviously is trust from Garden Hire and the Detroit Tigers and the fact that they did not hesitate to make him the manager when Ron Garden Hire stepped away. I think it's a great opportunity for Lloyd McClendon, and i like to see him succeed. Like I said, I think he got a little bit of a bum deal in Seattle. Prior to that, he was managing a Pittsburgh Pirate team that wasn't any good. Uh, a team that was so bad that Jim Leland couldn't stand managing it anymore. A team that you knew wasn't trying. Not only didn't have good, talented players, but didn't have anything in its minor league system. They didn't have any scouting or development, and that was the reason that they went 20 years without making a postseason. McClendon, as a manager, didn't make them better, but he also didn't make them any worse. Gene Lamont, his predecessor, didn't make them any better, but he also didn't make them any worse. So we're going to finish up the show today. And as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. You know, you hear about prejudices as they exist in the world. And obviously they apply to sports. I just mentioned one where you talk about one of the reasons a white person could say that there aren't as many black baseball players. You could say it's because of the income level. You want to blame inner cities. But isn't that, in fact, prejudice? You know, you're assuming that all blacks live in poverty? Because they don't. There, there are many blacks that prosper. There are many blacks that are, are in middle class. And in fact, there's a lot more middle class black people than the average American gives credit for. So why do we stick on that prejudice? And you know what? There's also the bad take versus offense thing. And you, you hear about it in sports, you know, whether it's Skip Bayless, whether it's, you know, any, you know, Tom Brenneman, you know, made a, made an awful, awful mistake 
and is accountable for it, basically sacrifices his job, may not work as a broadcaster again for saying something. But we're, we're looking at examples of what the difference between having a bad take and saying something that is extremely hurtful puts not only themselves and the profession that they have, but the company that they work for in a bad spot. And, you know, you watch, you know, a movie like 42 with, you know, the late Chadwick Boseman, obviously about Jackie Robinson. And, it, and there's different things that get spoken about over the course of the movie. And I look, when I think of racism and how it's applied to the country, I think of baseball how it wouldn't allow a black player to play in a sport. And you think of somebody like Branch Rickey, who may have had business reasons to bring in the first black player. Hey, you bring in Jackie Robinson, that works out. All of a sudden, you're going to gain the loyalty of every black player or aspiring black player to want to play for your team because you were the first to do it. So that I get, you know, there's a business standpoint, a business reason why Branch Rickey wanted to integrate baseball, but he also had a personal reason. He also had a reason from, you know, him being a, you know, a Christian, for him believing that God created all people equal. And, you know, what ends up happening is, you know, you see what becomes the struggles of Jackie Robinson and what he had to deal with. Sure, every team and every black player that played over the next decade or two decades, or probably even further than that, has to deal with the same sort of prejudices. But fans, if you think about it, they wear the jersey of their team. And there's no fan that's going to go out there now and say that they're not going to watch their favorite team because they have a black player on it. And you wonder where I'm getting to with this. You hear the, the, I guess, the sensationalization or the far, far judgment of what many Americans consider Black Lives Matter. And you think of rioting and violence, and it's not the heart of what Black Lives Matter stands for. So those that are out there and wouldn't abandon their favorite sports team, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, because they have a black player, shouldn't be alienated their favorite team just because they support Black Lives Matter. Now, listen, that becomes a bigger discussion, and I think there's people that are a lot more passionate against what I just said, and I think everybody is entitled to their own opinion. You should speak your opinion. But I also think you should listen to the opinion of others. And the fact that we are in a country that, you know, doesn't treat everybody equal, still has distinctive prejudices that we use. When it comes to our police department, we have the same judging people over the color of their skin that were put into police training in the 1940s to the 1960s. That's not been stricken from the police academy. You're told those with darker skin are the bigger threat. That's what they're telling police officers now. That's what they've told police officers for the better part of the past 100 years. There's no change from that. 
police unions are not condemning those that go over the line and do too much. You know, you're not seeing anything change from that perspective. Now you want to say, hey, you want you, you don't want to go full sensitivity training to tip the scales in the other favor and say that, all right, you know, it hasn't been fair how blacks were treated for so long that you go to whites and you treat them the same to make up for it. I don't think I don't think that's necessarily a fair answer. But shoot to kill's gotta go. You shoot to kill if your life is in danger, if somebody else's life is in danger. To subdue somebody, to stop somebody, you, you shouldn't be going for that person's life. A little bit of a recap of the show today, and as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. You can catch the show on iTunes, Google Play. Pretty soon, you're going to be able to catch the show on Spotify and Amazon. A little bit of a recap of the show today. We spoke about three reasons why you'd fire a head coach in a National Football League in season. Ideally, it doesn't make sense because there's so many strings involved with a head coach and a coaching staff, a coaching search. It's very hard to do that in the middle of a football season. So the reasons that you'd fire a head coach in season is if a team completely quits on a head coach. If it's evident week in and week out that they're just tuning a coach out, not even trying. And it's hard to do in such a physical game in a National Football League. You know, you figure you're not trying, you're about to get blindsided and probably seriously injured. So it makes sense to try 100% of the time in a National Football League. That's why if it's evident that the players are not trying, then it is an indictment on a head coach and probably a reason why you should fire a head coach in season. Number two, the head coach embarrasses himself. He just looks like he's a fish out of water. He, he makes a mistake in a game. Listen, everybody makes a mistake, but gives some weird explanation that doesn't make any sense for why he did it. It doesn't seem like he understands football. You know, when it comes to the X's and O's, just doesn't seem like he understands what it's like, has no pulse of what he considered a locker room. I think those, those are reasons why you may want to consider moving on from a head coach in season. And then finally, to me, the most important one, if you have high aspirations as a football team and you're off to a bad start, and there goes the, the show. Uh, I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Past Ball Show, once again, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.